turn in our Bibles to Jonah, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first six verses there. We all learned about Jonah in Sunday school. <laughs> Amen. But it's more than just a story. There's a lot to it. Let's just read the first few verses. I'm going to read, as I said, from Jonah 1, 1 to 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now Nineveh, for information from Jonah's perspective, was in the east, and Tarshish was in the west. <laughs> he heard God and he ran the other way. Amen. But you can't get away from God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord <laughs> sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. <laughs> so the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. All right, so we all know the story. They cast lots and Jonah eventually got thrown into the sea only to be swallowed by a big fish. All right, and there he had time to reflect. And he came to his senses. Anyway, we all know the story. He goes back and he does what God tells him. Now, the title of this message is very simply Course Correction. Course Correction. In the book of Psalms, it speaks about blessed are those whose heart is set on pilgrimage who go through the valley of Bacar and eventually go to glory. Now, all of us are on a journey. I hope we all understand that. Life is a journey. And hopefully we turn our journey into a pilgrimage because a pilgrimage, by definition, is a journey to a holy place. Amen? A pilgrimage is a journey to a holy place. It's not just a journey. If you regard the coast as a holy place and you worship at the Sea of Belita or wherever, then it becomes a pilgrimage. All right? But in the natural, it's just a journey. A pilgrimage, by definition, is a journey to a holy place. And we're all on a journey to heaven, you see, hopefully. Well, that's the plan. We are on a journey to the holy place. And as far as God is concerned, the journey is important, all right? It's not just a case of getting there. The journey is important. And our job here as a church and with one another is to make sure that that journey is a successful journey. It can, if we're not careful, end up in a wreck on the way. And many lives have become a wreck on the way. And our job is to try and prevent that from happening. Amen? So you see, we here, we're all on a journey. You have got a journey. We all have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Your journey is different from mine, but we're moving in the same direction. And our job is to help one another. The church's job is to help us. My job is to try and give information that will help you and I on our journey, that that journey might be a successful pilgrimage and we might go through the gates of glory with a blaze. Amen? Not just crawl in by the skin of our teeth. Now, it's important along this journey to do what I will call course correction. Does everybody understand what I mean by course correction? They sent this fantastic bit of engineering, this James Webb telescope, on its journey. It's about a million miles away from Earth. Did you know that? To a position, deep space, special place where there's a whole lot of reasons for it. But they sent it on this journey of a million miles. 
And I can guarantee every step of the way, what were they doing? Course correction. Because over a million miles, <laughs> if you go one micro, micro, micro millimeter off, you'll end up on the other side of space, and space is pretty big. Okay, all right. But anyway, precision engineering and telemetry, whatever you call it, they brought this telescope. Amazing piece of engineering. It's amazing what we humans can do when we work together. All nations were involved. It's, it's really a great testimony to humankind that they put this telescope there. But on the way, I can guarantee, if not every second, they were continually checking what? The course. Course correction. When planes fly across the Atlantic or long distance, they're always making course adjustments because the wind changes and things like that. So to make sure they arrive at the right destination, they have to continually check their course. And that's my message this morning, that you and I as Christians, we need to, from time to time, back off, as it were, and take stock. Take stock of where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going about it. Can you all say amen? And it's my job here to encourage us to do that on a regular basis. Why? Because we need to make course correction. You see? The strategy of the devil is to get you and I off course. Has anybody noticed that? But you see, you and I as Christians, we need to take stock because the enemy's job is to try and ease us off the course God has for us. Amen. Did you know that God got a plan for every one of our lives? A specific handcrafted, if I can call it that, personalized plan for you and my life. Like I said, the plan for my life is different from yours. But in God's wisdom, they all should integrate and we should all be helping each other. The plan for our life should be a benefit to others. Amen. God's plan for you and my life will always, always, always benefit others and the kingdom of heaven. And in doing that, believe it or not, bless us to the maximum. God's plan for you and I is to be blessed. Can you all say amen? amen? You see? But part of this great blessing is to be in his plan. Did you know that if we're not in God's perfect plan for our lives, the devil actually laughs at us? Did you know that? He doesn't bother. You wonder why great men of God come under such great attack. Well, it's quite obvious, isn't it? They're making a difference. You see? They're making a difference. And the enemy doesn't like that. He's quite happy for you and I to sit and atrophy, so to speak. You know what I mean by that? If you don't use a muscle, it atrophies. It gets lazy and it becomes defunct. That's how it works. You and my life can actually atrophy in the sense of we're not doing his will. We slowly but surely being moved off God's plan for us into a high road, you see? And then the devil's happy. He's very happy. Why? Because he's got us out of the way. We're not part of God's great plan. Not that God doesn't love us, please don't get me wrong, doesn't mean that we won't get to heaven. But I hope you all understand, just getting to heaven is not the objective of this whole exercise. Amen? There are crowns in heaven, and your and my job is to get as many as possible. It's not a competition, but we have a calling on this earth. You and I have a calling. And the enemy's job, as I said time and time again, is to ease us off. You see, and... If you and I don't have the discipline to stop every now and then and to take stock, as I said, and check up and see with God, are we on the right track? And then make the necessary adjustments. 
Amen? If we don't, what will happen? We'll come to the end and wonder, oh my soul, I've missed it. I don't want that for any person that's associated with this church. Can you all say amen? amen? That's my job to make sure that from my perspective, I've done everything I can to avoid that. And this is a big danger. Now listen, let me just explain something about the enemy's strategy. Very seldom. He does it on occasion, comes up and confronts you with something and you say, I'm going that way. You see, that's when you get back to the story of dear old Jonah. Jonah <laughs> had the misfortune to be called as a prophet. Amen. <laughs> Don't pray, oh God, raise me up as a prophet. Okay. You might get what you pray for. Be careful. <laughs> it's a terrible job. There's a lot of glory, but there's a lot of pressure. All right. One day I remember saying to my pastor at that stage, I said, you know, I feel God. I was young and inexperienced. I said, I feel God's called me to be a prophet, you see. It was actually true. But the pastor had the wisdom to say to me, sit down and shut up. You don't know what you say. He was right. Amen. But what I'm trying to get at is that Jonah had this misfortune, but great glory. But you see, he didn't, as it were, follow the course. All right. And we're going to get back to Jonah just now. But the choice is always ours. But the devil doesn't always make it obvious to you that he's trying to change your course. He is, as I've always said, a creeper. Now, let me just read another scripture. I'd like us to go to 1 Samuel. And we're going to read from chapter 15, verse 7 to 15. Very instructive, this. Remember, Israel was roaming around in the wilderness, leadershipless, and at the behest of any Tom, Dick, or Harry, and the whole nation was a mess. God raised up a prophet, Samuel. Samuel's job was to, well, he wasn't supposed to do this. Samuel was really the prophet to the nation, and he was the leader of the nation. But the nation said to him, no, we want a king. Once again, in a sense, Samuel said to them, be careful what you pray for, you might get it. Anyway, they insisted he appointed a king. God anointed him to appoint a king. He anointed Saul. All right? He anointed Saul. Saul was tall, good-looking, and the obvious choice from the natural. But how many of you know very often the choice from the natural is not really God's choice? Anyway. Saul, he had to fight a lot of enemies, a lot of battles, and he was quite successful as a king, as a military leader. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. That's a long way. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the instruction Samuel gave to Saul was to destroy them utterly. You get the picture? So they defeated them. They didn't destroy them utterly. They took Agag as a captive, and they kept the prime stock. Okay. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. You see, the command was to destroy utterly and he didn't do that. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and has gone around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. Okay, he's all full of himself now because they've had victory. He set up a monument to himself. 
He's on a roll, so to speak. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? You see that? What is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites. Now listen to this. This is the point I'm trying to make. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. <laughs> see that? Now, you see, my point is this. The enemy doesn't come and oppose us directly. You see, Saul had instruction. And he was following the instruction. But, what happened? He saw all these beautiful cattle, all these oxen, he thought, you know what, can't destroy that. You see? Now, when he was confronted by Samuel, he said, Oh, we kept all this. Why? You see? To sacrifice to your God. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, the devil, in his attempts to get you now off course, comes with something that looks and sounds good. It sounds very often Bible. Amen? You know there was a church in America, I've shared this testimony before, the Satanists sent one of the operatives into the church. And how it worked was this. They had an altar call and this gentleman, he came to the front crying his eyes out and put on a good show of repentance. Oh, he did the whole thing. Yes, I need to be forgiven. And he gave his heart to the Lord and went through the whole process. He started off like that. So, of course, the church is wonderful. You know, you've got a new convert. And he rose to the occasion. He was first at every meeting and all this. And he really impressed them with his attitude, you see. And they thought, wow, this guy's leadership material. They actually promoted him, you see. And he ingratiated himself, ingrained himself with the church as one of its leaders, you see. Whole process. Okay. Then the day came where the church said, we need to expand our operations. How are we going to do this? And he was in the meeting, you see. And he had respect by everybody. And they said, well, you know, how are we going to do it? And you know what he suggested to them? The church, by the way, had been built on prayer. And his suggestion was, you know, we spend a lot of time in prayer, which is good. Which is good. But we need to spend more time evangelizing. Get the angle? Sounds good, doesn't it? The church's job is to reach the lost. Yes, yes, yes. So they made a choice. They listened to him. <laughs> they listened to him. And they started to do more evangelism. Because they were spending more time doing evangelism, what happened to their prayer? They cut back on their prayer. It's a true story. Do you know that things started to go wrong? Then eventually the entire church closed down. Can you believe it? Right? Now, what I'm trying to say is this. You and I, in our walk with the Lord, we call to do something, we know it, but what does the enemy do? He comes with a half-truth. Sounds good. It sounds very good. And you say, yes, no, that, that's good. Must be God. Must be God. We know a family. Let me tell you. They were in a church and they felt they must go to America. You see, they must go to America. He was in the building industry, still is. And they checked on the internet and they saw the building industry in America is flourishing. That's the place to go. They made their desire known to the church. The church gathered around. They all prophesied over them. 
and said, you must go to America. <laughs> you, must go, you must go to America. Everybody said, yes, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. So they sold up, packed up, and off they went. I think it was three years later, they crept back, totally and utterly broke. The wife almost crawled into this very room, needing prayer. Then they recovered and all the rest. But what am I saying? It sounded very good. Right? When they got there, the whole economy imploded. The, the building industry was totally devastated. You could hardly find work. They had to move to another part of the States completely. They had a miserable time, them and their family. Now you see, what am I saying? The enemy's trick is to now, slowly but surely, edge you and I off what we call to do. All right? By doing something that's probably good. Very good. Sounds good. Amen? How do we prevent that? By doing this very thing that I'm saying now. Stop from time to time and take stock. Course correction. Check in your heart of hearts that God is happy with what you and I are doing. Can you all say amen? amen. It takes effort. It takes effort. Let me tell you, it takes effort. Very often I've had to do that. And can I just say, when things haven't gone well and things don't seem to be working out, etc., etc., I always stop and take course correction. You see, because if something's not working, it doesn't mean that you must carry on doing it. That doesn't make sense, does it? If something's not working, it's maybe a good thing to change. But it's not always a good thing just to change because it doesn't seem to be working. Something might be looking very good. And that's the bigger danger, I think, because everything's going well. You think, oh, well, I'm on track. It's a danger, brothers and sisters. It's a big danger because we're so comfortable and going well. We think it's all fine. Stop and take course correction. Wait before God. Spend a bit of time listening to God and make sure in your heart of hearts, this is where I'm supposed to be. And can I tell you, when I've done that, I have a peace. I don't care what happens. I know I'm on track. Amen? Doesn't mean that I can't make changes here or there, but I know I'm on track, and that gives me great peace, no matter what happens. Now, you might say, Grant, that's common sense, you know, to sit and take course correction. Why don't we do it? <laughs> Why don't we do it? And this is where we get back to the story of dear old Jonah, right? Sometimes I believe you and I are scared to take course correction. Amen? Why? Because we think that God might tell us to do something that in our heart of hearts we don't really want to do. Amen? Can I just say something? In this walk through life, and we teach this in our whole course on calling, quite an involved course, let me tell you. I don't think I've taught it successfully properly yet. Because it takes quite a lot of, I don't know how to say, time to really grasp these things. Things that I've learned over a whole lifetime. But you see, with calling, you've got to grasp this, that your and my calling is always in a state of flux, change. I mean, it's not like set in stone. Oh, you're going to be an evangelist, that's it. You look at Paul the Apostle. He started off very simply as a wild evangelist, you know, like somebody fresh. That's got saved, and they try and save the whole world. Have you ever had this in your life? 
You know, you get wonderful experience with God and you think, well, I'm going to save the whole world. You go out there and tell everybody, they all laugh at you, say, well, I better not worry about them. I'll try and get my family saved. Have <laughs> you tried that? You try to get your family saved and then they turn on you like a pack of wolves and say you've gone mad and you start to wonder, am I saved? You get it? You see, Paul was like that, you know, that to let him out of the town on a bus because everybody was up in arms about him. You know, the person who persecuted the church and now is trying to get everybody saved. He quietened down over a period of time and rose up to become an itinerant evangelist. In the process, he started to teach and then he became apostolic in the sense of responsible for churches all over the place. Do you know what I realized the other day? He moved from just being an apostolic ministry because Paul's no longer an apostle to the church. Now, is he? He's not here. But what has he become? In the great scheme of events, he became the great teacher of the body of Christ through his letters. You see, his ministry actually evolved. Let me tell you, God's got a plan for every one of us here. And you might say, well, I don't need to know that now because I'm in my calling right now. Praise God. But take the message, put it in your pocket. You might need it someday. You see, take it out. Almost like patkos. But you see, you and I are in this walk. And what I'm here to say is that things change. What you're doing now, what you and I are doing now, is not necessarily what God wants us to do forever and a day. Amen? But we'll never tap into it if we don't spend time every now and then doing what? Course correction. Amen? Taking stock. Lord, is this where you want me now? And you see, things happen. For example, you're busy in your life and you're doing stuff and suddenly you start, or not even suddenly, gradually start to feel discontent. Discontent. What you found so exciting to do at one stage starts to become a bit dull and routine. That's not a problem. Amen? That's God maybe just hinting to say, listen, it's time to take stock and maybe move into something different. Are you hearing me? You see, you don't want to come to the end of your life saying, Lord, I built this successful business and blah, de, blah, de, blah. And he says, well, that was great, but you know what? <laughs> I actually wanted you to evangelize that part of the world. And you say, I missed it. Well, because what? So involved with what we're doing, we didn't have the courage to stop and take stock. Don't wait to be swallowed by a whale <laughs> before you take stock. That's what I'm trying to say about Jonah. He should have stopped right there. When God spoke to him, stopped and taken stock and said, Lord, yes, I'll go. Do you understand? He should have. But oh no, he ran. He tried to run away from the presence of God. How doof can you get? How doof can you get? Am I right? You can't do that. He's going to go to Tarshish as far away from God as he possibly could get. On the way, guess what? God had a plan. And he got chaps by a whale. But you see, what was he doing on the way? He went down to the deepest part of the ship. And while everything's happening, he went into fetal position, you see. I think a lot of us Christians, when things get a bit much for us, what do we do? We go fetal. Fetal position, like in the womb. There was one man fought in the First World War. When he heard the Second World War was breaking out, you know what he did? He went to sleep. He slept right through. When the war came, he woke up. <laughs> now, you see, you and I laugh at that, but as Christians, very often it happens. We're happy or whatever, we're content, but we're not content. There's a disturbance maybe in our heart. There's a feeling that maybe there's more. There's more out there. But what do we do? Because we're scared of the consequences of a decision. So we go 
fetal positions. Try and ignore God. I remember once, I was traveling, I attended ministry with a prophetic guy. We had quite a lot of fun. We ended up in one place, I can't remember what it was, some small little dorp there in the Western Cape. And we were ministering in the church, and we stayed with the local lawyer, attorney. You see. Now, if you're a local attorney in a small village like that, you're really something. You understand? He owned a whole block of property, not just a spot. The whole block, you see, had his house. It was like a little farm in the middle of this town. Anyway, he put us up there, him and his wife, and they're very good to us. And, and we were telling him stories of things we had done. And I'm sitting there, because I studied law, and I realized, I'd given up all of this for what I was doing now. And let me just tell you, in our journeys, we were totally penniless. We were actually traveling by the seat of our pants from one village to the next. You never knew what you were going to eat or where you are going to stay. Nothing. Anyway, we were living like this. We were telling him of the great things that had happened, you see. And he's listening to this open mouth, wide-eyed. And at the end of our story, he said, you know what? I'd give anything to do what you are doing. Oh, this fellow for chair. <laughs> You want to be us? <laughs> You've got all of this? You know what the truth is? He could have been doing everything we were doing. However, what would he have to do? He'd give up his plot <laughs> and fly by the seat of his pants. Obviously not prepared to do it. Now what am I saying? I'm trying to get across the message that God's got a plan for every one of you that is more exciting than anything you and I could ever imagine. Can you all say amen? amen. And God wants you to enjoy that. He wants us to come through the gates of glory Guns blazing, as it were. Amen? Amen. Amen? But you see, for that to happen, you and I have to be very, very aware that the enemy doesn't want that to happen. And his trick is to do what? Get us sidelined. Sidetracked, of course. Doing good. You get it? Looking good. Are you hearing me? This is the whole point. Looking good. But you see, we can't let that happen. How can we... Prevent it from happening. Time to time. Be honest. Sit down. Course correction. God, it's just you and me. Are you happy with what I'm doing now? Amen? Amen. Ask that deep question and be prepared to hear the answer. And when you hear the answer, don't be like Jonah. I didn't hear that. <laughs> I know exactly what you said, but I didn't hear that. So you're writing it in your journal, and he says something, tear it out. No, no, that can't be God. Can't be God. Can't be God. Can't be God. Don't do it. Have the courage to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that I'm going to do. And don't think that God wants you and I just to pack up everything and just change automatically. No. There's always a process. There's always a wise way to go about these things. I mean, just two stories of other people's experience that I want to share. Just to give us the balance in this whole thing. The one man in America had a wonderful experience with God. He was a very successful businessman. He felt God telling him to go and be a missionary in Africa. Why Africa? I don't know, but that's what he felt. So he sold everything and he moved into some remote part of I think it was the Belgian Congo at that stage. And there he set up a mission station. And the first year was okay, and second year, the funds are getting a bit low. By the third year, or fourth year, whatever, his resource base dried up, and he had to pack up and go home, defeated. All right? Now, what he did was good, 
And I'm not saying that it was wrong. I'm not saying God hadn't called him to Africa. What am I saying? He maybe went about it the wrong way, you understand. He took course correction, yes, but he didn't get the wisdom on how to actually make the change. Are you hearing me? The other success story is this man was a successful businessman, big industry in, I think it was Switzerland. Things were going very well with the company, turning over very well, but he felt God's call to evangelism, to the ministry. So what did he do? He sat down with his wife, discussed it, and they decided that she would take over business, she would take over the directorship of the business and release him to go and do his evangelism. Do you know, in the year that that happened, the business doubled in the production. <laughs> he probably thought to himself, should have done it a long time ago. <laughs> what am I saying? He did it the right way. Do you understand? Imagine if he just sold the business, closed down and went off onto the mission field. What about all the families employed? you understand? What about the people involved? you get it? It was the right thing, but he would have done it the wrong way. They did it the right way, God's way. And because of it, everybody was blessed. And that's God's plan. So I'm encouraging all of us here. Don't be afraid of God speaking to you. Amen? Don't be afraid. Embrace it. Embrace it. You see, every now and then, just break off for a bit. Get on your own. Go out into the countryside if you have to. Just be quiet. That's the key to this thing. Be very quiet, you and God. Just you and God. And say, Father God, you know what I'm doing with my life now. I'm on this journey. But do I need to make adjustments? Do I need to make some adjustments? And you might very often hear him say, well, just change this for now. You understand? Not a major sea change. It could be any number of things that are happening. Could even say to you, listen, pack up and just, you know, oh, wouldn't this be lovely? Go to the coast and just meditate on my word while you listen to those waves and breathe in the wonderful fresh air. Oh, yes, Lord, don't confirm that. I've heard you. I'm on my way. Praise be to God. Well, listen, you know what? In God's will, any place you and I go to becomes paradise. Amen? Yeah. It all depends. And let me just say this. Any man-made paradise without God becomes hell. Amen? Amen? So, what's the key? God. Amen? Yeah. God. Make sure you are where you're supposed to be, where we are supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to do. I just can't share this. You know, I have a British passport. I'm a, a British passport, right of abode. I can go there and get a pension. I can live off the land, basically, over there in England. But I have no desire to go there. Nothing whatsoever. Why? I'm not called there. You understand? Until God tells me to move, I'm going nowhere. Amen? Why? Because I know that if I'm not in His will, I will not be happy, even if it is Clifton Beach. You and I are called to great things, great things, but they are in the will of God. And that will, let me tell you, can be very, very tricky to negotiate if we're not keeping our ear consistently to the ground. Don't be like a spaceship that doesn't listen to course correction. Uh, a few million kilometers, guess what? You're aiming for planet X and you end up on planet Z. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples in your word. The people who missed it in your word. Thank you that you've put them there. So that we can learn, Father God. We can learn from these examples. May we not be like Jonah. The first mention of your 
command, he ran. Oh Lord, may we not be like that. May we sit and listen to you and be obedient, Lord, to what you want us to do. So that, Lord, when we arrive in heaven, we have fulfilled our great call and not be ashamed.